0: This is the Drew Experience, the show that is 80% combat sports and 20% everything else. The show is brought to you by three free ad reads, as I always do. Karate tips and tricks, otherwise known as KRT, the largest growing online dojo where Sensei's Wesley Jensen and Darren Stringer out of the UK and the Netherlands are aiming to bring together all minds of striking martial arts, whether it's taekwondo, any style of karate, kickboxing, boxing, to bridge together and raise the bar of martial arts during the pandemic. KRT, Karate Tips and Tricks, raising the bar of martial arts globally. The other ad read is for Sensei Patrick Pinto and his podcast, The Kyokushin Shuffle, which uh, picks the brains of all of Kyokushin's greatest shians, senseis, or practitioners to see what gets them to click and what gets them to succeed at their craft and how they've contributed to Kyokushin, as well as his ebook, Forever the Student, available online, picking the minds of kickboxing, Muay Thai, Kyokushin, any other striking style of how they succeed at being martial artists and professionals in their professional life. And lastly, finding a good manager is hard to do, especially in the fight game. Luckily, there is one management group that I will always recommend. That's Moments Management where Nima Safapour and his team will do what they can to educate up-and-coming fighters how to invest their money, save it, and understand the fight window, where Nima has represented clients such as Gegard Mousasi, Alex Gustafson, Pani Kianzad, Bea Maliki, Costello Van Stennis, among many more, and helping them understand how valuable your window is to fight and why you should make sure your money is invested and saved well. And without further ado... I'm joined tonight by one of the best guests. I got to give a shout out to Vic Terrio. So thank you, Vic, for recommending and really uh, doing this. Um, He is the president of ISKA and also the director of regulatory affairs for promotions such as Strikeforce he's worked for, now Bellator, and also done it for Glory. I am honored to be joined by Corey Schaefer. Welcome, Corey.
1: Well, I'm I'm very pleased to be on the Drew Experience. This is exciting. And uh, I just want to say hello to all of your fan base and excited to be here.
0: Thank you. Well, it's an honor to have you because, uh, I mean, when Vic says to have somebody on the show and he knows combat sports, I'm going to take his word for it because he's a...
1: Vicky. Yeah, Vic is a remarkable guy. He's quite a character. Everybody that knows him, uh, legendary in this sport. Uh, And we're really pleased to recognize him as the ISKA's National Director for Promotions for Canada. Very excited about the team he's putting together to do good work uh, there in Canada.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, he's trying to do everything he can to finally, you know, as you're doing with the regulatory affairs, he's trying to do that for kickboxing, especially in Quebec, Canada, because there's so much politics, you know, with kickboxing and Fighting events, so it's really nice to see that he's doing something to help, you know, get it legalized. Because look, I think that the potential for mixed martial arts or combat sports in general is limitless. It's not like team sports where they're, yeah, you could raise the bar, but fighting, it's it's limitless. There's no limits to it.
1: Well, and the, and the real shame in in areas like uh, Montreal or uh, in Quebec uh, or in Toronto, even you have world class athletes who are not getting the opportunity to perform in front of their home fans, in front of their training partners, in front of their dojo mates, uh, simply because uh, legislatively uh, what obviously needs to be approved, and again, I don't want to make less of the process. It is difficult. Uh, The combat sports are regulated at the state or province level, often or at the national level, and changing the regs is sometimes the same as changing the laws. And requires, they say the the quote is an act of Congress. Yeah, so it's a long, slow process that isn't always the priority. But we try to uh, put our collective shoulders to the wheel and help our legislators do the right thing so that our athletes can uh, compete, you know, in in every jurisdiction under the same rules.
0: Awesome. Well, I like how you said that there. And I'm glad to see that we're all trying to work together, create a dialogue. And then hopefully that dialogue leads to understanding and acceptance. And then who knows, right?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, but part of the challenge in, in Canada in particular, uh, where the, where the uh, rules, regulations and the laws for combat sports were rewritten several years ago, they were rewritten to cover boxing and MMA and the brother sport, kickboxing, somehow did not get involved uh, or, or wasn't included. So there was actually a question as to whether uh, the, the federal government there uh, had a voice or regulated kickboxing or not. And each of the provinces then decided whether those rules applied or didn't. And it kind of fell in the cracks. And we're trying to lend our support, our expertise, our experience to helping them um, make sure that it's properly regulated in the the reasonable way that reflects contemporary kickboxing globally.
0: Nice. So we'll get more into that towards deeper in. But before Mm -hmm. we get into the nitty gritty, I want to know what? Uh, So what are your martial arts origins and who motivated and inspired you to take up martial arts?
1: Well, I, I started in martial arts as a very small child in judo. Um, You know, I think I wanted to take karate, but my mom didn't want me breaking boards and uh, my band director was taking judo. Uh, So my mom said, okay, as long as you pay for it. And, you know, I took it out of my little bank to pay for judo and i studied for uh, i studied judo up in new jersey for a long time and then when we moved to florida and i started at the university of florida i started in a karate program uh earned my first degree black belt in Wado roo in 1982 uh, and that was the the earliest days the beginning of the american kickboxing movement so seguated to kickboxing and then of course the style of karate that i took also blended jujitsu and you know nowadays we recognize that everybody in the martial arts you know uh, they they have a principal system but they put their hand their feet into different systems because you know more more knowledge is always good uh it's been a great journey along the way um you know training as a kickboxer and training kickboxers uh, i got involved in officiating which is just kind of a a freak um, circumstances someone asked me to judge a fight because the judge got sick it was at an event where I was um, uh, cornering a fighter and found I had a talent for it. Uh, and, uh, you know, that kind of set me off in a path direction on the regulatory side of the sport. And I've, um, I've, I've really grown to love that role and uh, cherish my relationships with the brotherhood of officials that I've worked with for so many years.
0: That's amazing. And you said in the 80s, which is like the PKA days. So imagine you had the chance to see guys like Jean Yves. Shout out to Vic and his brother, Jean Yves, yep, yep. uh, Dennis Alexio, Benny Urquides, Sure. Don Wilson. These oh, are yeah. like legends. So is there anyone else in that list I'm missing? Actually,
1: or- actually the, um, the event that I was talking about that I was um, cornering a fighter where I was asked to judge, Don Wilson was fighting the main event on that show. Uh, I actually refereed Dennis Alexio in Hawaii in a heavyweight in the ISK heavyweight championship of the world. That was, that was a great week. A lot of fun. Um, gosh, there were so many. I mean, I look at great talents. Uh, Paul Biafor, legendary welterweight champion from Ontario, uh, great fighter. Um, you know, listen, you know, if I mention, I, I'm always hesitant to mention any fighter because I'm liable to forget another. Yeah. So let me just say, you know what, the, 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 you know, if today's kickboxers see far, is because they stand on the shoulders of giants. Uh There have been so many legends of the sport that we are uh, humbled to be a part of. Uh It's exciting and it's only getting better.
0: That's amazing. So obviously, you know, you've done, you had your roots in kickboxing and then eventually that transitions into MMA, but maybe this is like, there's like a cross point. So you met. So you've done a lot of work with. You you continue to work with Scott Coker, and how did you meet Scott Coker? What did? How did that? And what made you say I'm going to get involved with this guy?
1: Well, Scott was one of the uh, original uh, lead promoters for Strikeforce Kickboxing. Uh, ISKA sanctioned Strikeforce Kickboxing and other kickboxing promotions from around America for the ESPN broadcasts. Well, Scott ended up being the top promoter, the most dependable the high, and it was promoting the highest level events. So he was Strikeforce as a promotion predates MMA and it was Strikeforce kickboxing. Then it morphed into strike, the Strikeforce mixed martial arts that everybody came to recognize uh, with that first event that we did, uh, the first legal event in California that had something like um, you know, 14,000 uh, spectators, Um, you know, with Kung Lee fighting, um, you know, with uh, Shamrock versus Gracie. I mean, it was a very exciting time. I I remember that day so well, uh, because I was asked to sit next to the assistant to the uh, attorney general uh, from the government was there and to to explain everything as it went along. And and the funny thing was in the the earliest days of uh, government regulated MMA, they really weren't concerned about the nature of the sport. Is it safe or is it fair? Uh, is it going to be? Are they going to be able to regulate it or officiate it? Well, they were very confident in all those things that the parameters were good. They were most concerned about the fans themselves. Would this sport precipitate violence in the, you know, uh, you know, in the arena? Which of course turned you know, became obvious nonsense. Just like any other sporting event, um, we have very appreciative fans who love the. Uh, you know, the contest, the sport, the art, the athletes, the drama. Uh, and it's been a great road since then.
0: That's awesome. So with force Kickboxing, was that like what we saw in PKA, just this time with, I, with, like, these are guys that would just have, like, karate backgrounds or taekwondo backgrounds?
1: Well, no, actually, and, you know, it's a funny thing. When we, when we look at the number of years that ISKA sanctioned, you know, uh, kickboxing for ESPN, I mean, major network, Uh, It was a very, very high rated show. In fact, one year, I think that it was the highest rated show next to NHL hockey. Um, But I think looking back, the lack of a solid identity for the sport of kickboxing hurt the growth. Uh, For instance, one week kickboxing would be full contact, what you're talking about, long pants, shin shin guards, boots, uh, kicks above the belt, eight kick men required. The next week, it would be Kong Lee and uh, San Shou, Chinese kickboxing the throne. The next week, we'd have Fairtex and it'd be Muay Thai. So there was not one set of rules contested. Mm. It was different. Sometimes on a single show, you'd have four or five or six different styles of kickboxing contested. And in the long run, I think that lack of a solid identity for the term, what is kickboxing, I think hurt our growth um in the sport and um you know and and then of course mma came all, all along uh which had a tremendous fan swell and a great financial investment um and you know the rest is history
0: yeah that that early period, especially in 2006, I always like to say the golden age for MMA had to do when tough blew up. And then at the same time, Strike Force came up in 2006 of March. And you were at that first event. You must have been at the second event. Not this, I don't know if it was the second, but it was one of the early ones where Scott, and I don't know if you had anything to do with it, but Strikeforce take, has to get credit for being the first North American promotion for bringing down Alistair Overeem from pride.
1: Well, you know, I, all the credit goes to Scott. Uh, Yeah. I was at the event. Uh, I I, I believe I was at every strike force MMA event. I mean, I may have missed one, Um, but you know, working, first of all, working with Scott Coker is is such a gift. Uh, He is a martial artist. So that's his framework and every organization that he puts together functions Like a martial arts organization it's about respect responsibility courtesy self-discipline there is no drama i remember scott once saying to someone listen you know what um if you don't wake up in the morning thankful and appreciative that you get the opportunity the privilege to work in this industry you know what time to go look for another job Mm -hmm. you know he is he is a fan he is a martial artist and he is a fan of the athletes it's about the fighters. It's about the fights. It's about the sport. Um, and, you know, everything, uh, all my experiences working with Strikeforce and, and now working with Bellator reflects that. That's the culture that Scott creates. And it's a wonderful culture to work within.
0: Yeah. And not only was Strikeforce on the come up in, like, say, 2007, like, I really think, like, you've seen guys like legends such as D Daniel Cormier come up, Luke Rockhold, uh Josh Barnett came back from Pride into the Strike Force. Uh, you know, what was it like though? Cuz this is the one period. Tell me what was it like when you guys finally secured the deal with M1 to bring in the Russians and or not the but the Russian Fedor who was considered like the one of the greatest of all time and a guy and an un, and not I wouldn't say unknown, but you know he was really like the hardcores knew who he was. Gegard sure, Musasi, sure, because sure. I want to hear this story because I know other promotions wanted these two, but for some reason Scott had a way of just saying, just getting M1 to say, you know what, let's go with you guys.
1: You know I've, I've heard I'm not gonna tell you which fighter said this, but um, a major fighter that used to work for a major promotion one of the many that came over to to, to Bellator said, hey, you know why? They say please and thank you. You know, and I I, I love that quote because it's, again, it's about culture. You know, listen, dollars and cents. If the dollars are right, it makes sense. I I get it. It's a professional fight sport. People need to make money. But if they can make money in a number of different places with a number of different promotions, you know, people are going to, people are going to gravitate to where they feel appreciated to where they feel that the fighters are the biggest thing uh, it's about the fights where you can you know you can tell when uh the president of an organization respects you admires you is a fan and knows how to conduct business to help you advance your brand um you know fighters can they can tell that and that's why they have uh, that's why they gravitate towards scott and to Rich Cho, uh, and, to, and the people that, that Force and Bellator surround themselves with. You know, back in that day, I remember with DC, uh, I'm sorry, who is this guy? Wait, wait, he's an alternate. Yeah, okay, he's an alternate. Yeah, right? And, you know, you said, um, you know, what was it like, um, you know, when guys like Igor Masasi came in, and Fedor, I mean, I remember that first Fedor event very, very well. Uh, there, we did that in Chicago, and there were some there were some great stories you know, involving, uh, involving that event. But, you know, I guess the best explanation for, for what it was like or what impact it had on the industry was, you know, in the midst of that heavyweight tournament, what happened? What happened with Strikeforce? Well, I don't know. Another company came along and said, wow, maybe it's time to make a financial offer. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, so I think that maybe that is uh, as an adequate statement about the impact that that time in force bringing in those legends, that those names, that magnitude of heavyweight Grand Prix, you know, what impact did it have? Well, you know, history, history tells us that
0: not only that, you think of all the champions that came out of Strikeforce after and other promotions. Like you had Daniel Cormier, you had, um, you had Luke Rockhold, the last middleweight champion. And and I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like I have kind of, I respect Rockhold. It's just that his, it's just that like, uh, like I kind of have like, I wouldn't say I love hate. I I Uh really respect what he, it's just the way sometimes he comes off. And everyone has their favorite fighter, but tell me, but Tell me, Corey, talent-wise, would you have to say he's one of the best middleweights you've ever seen talent-wise with what he brought to the table?
1: I, I absolutely, absolutely would. And, you know, I mean, the MMA is a, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting sport because, you know, for for, for for two reasons in particular. One, there's so many ways to win and so many ways to lose. So, uh, you know, the the... the if we compare it to boxing, you know, if you have two boxers and one guy is a little better than the other, if they box 20 times, that one guy would win 19 times. In MMA, if one guy's a little better than the other and they, and they fought 20 times, one guy would win, you know, 13 times. Yeah, because, you know, one small mistake, one half a second, and like that. And it's such, a, it's such a scientific sport that requires such diverse skills. And the key is, and what makes it very different, it's not what you do best in MMA that matters. It's what you can do better than your opponent, and then forcing the contest, or forcing the fight to be contested on those terms. And that is just a very difficult thing to do, uh, you know, even if you're really good. So whereas in boxing, um, you're not, if you're 12-0 if you're and 0 and you lose one fight, go to the back of the line i mean you know and it's way back there in mma you're as good as your last two fights you know you you you're 12 you lose one fight okay you win two in a row you're right back in the mix and i think that that's that says more about it for the sport it's better for the sport because people are willing to take chances they'll take fights against tough opponents because even if they lose if they look good they don't lose credibility
0: Very true. How do you feel about doing cross promotions? And I think this is something that not many people think of. And I think cross promotions are the best thing that can happen to help elevate the level of the sport and get global eyes on it. And Scott did that. Well, you guys did that with uh, Risen because Scott has a very good relation with uh, the founder of Risen. So how do you feel about uh, when these cross promotions happen with tournaments or just in general?
1: You know, I I learned a long time ago um, that, There's a very simple litmus test for any decision. Is it good for the fighters? Is it good for the sport? Will the fans like it? Yes, yes, yes. Let's make it happen. Because if you can achieve those three things, you can achieve anything else. You know, uh and and you know, come on, that's a dream. You know, how many people talk about, oh, I'd like to see the champion of this promotion fight, the champion of that. That, that would be great. You know, so, you know, Scott is absolutely open-minded to it. Um, you know, it's 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 an opportunity for the athletes. Uh, it's an opportunity for the fans. It's interest. You know, Scott says, you know, Bellator is dedicated to uh, to presenting the fights the fans want to see. That's what it's about. You know, so if the fighter wants it, the fighter's going to benefit. He's going to advance his career. The fans want to see it. We're going to find a way to make that happen.
0: That's amazing. That's, that's what I really like uh, about what I see Scott doing. And recently you guys came out with a ranking system finally, which is amazing to see too. And there's just amazing things happening. Um, you got, and the thing is too, uh, and, you know, shout out to Nima, who I'm sure, you know, you know, Gayguard's manager probably. You've, you've seen them all probably like a majority. I love what Nima taught me. And he said, always be pro fighter never pro promotion. If you really are a connoisseur of martial arts, you're going to appreciate the fighter no matter what promotion they're in.
1: Well, and, and, you know, listen, if you, if you look at it, other sports, um, you know, they, they've learned, you know, it's about the personality, you know, uh, I mean, I'm dating myself, but if you were to watch, if you, if you'd watch a, a preview for a basketball game, they would say Kobe Bryant and the Knicks versus you know and then they, always the lead name because it's about the personalities it's about the athletes you know in the end the 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 fan is watching the contest they are, they want to you know either be or be like the athlete they want to witness a very special type of human drama mm-hmm. that only combat sports presents its simplicity its honesty uh you know, uh, you know, these guys, they get in there, they, they climb between the ropes, they close the cage door and they bare their souls. I mean, this is what I love about it. And this is why I'm so passionate involved after all these years is I just have great admiration for the athletes and and what they do. I believe that all sports are combat sports. It's a question of how well they hide it and they cover it up. Football is ground acquisition, you know, I mean like that. So I just think that um, combat sports are wonderful, but it's, the beginning and the end is the recognition is it's about the fighters.
0: Very true. And that's what Bellator has done a very good job with. What I really liked was when you guys got John McCarthy to come over to like, be like, (laughs) uh, to be like um, Uh. uh, a commentator. And I think that, and I think John with all the stories and experiences he has coming over from other promotions really is like, that's a big, that was a big coup. And, you know, he does it. I listened to his podcast with uh, Josh Thompson. Thompson, right. And it's nice to see it because, you know, a lot, as I always say, like, you know, if you really like the sport, you don't just look at one promotion, you look at all the other promotions, whether that's 1FC, UFC, Bellator, Glory, if it's a Glory kickboxer coming into MMA. So that's what I like about what Big John's bringing to the table to eat. He-
1: well, I am. I'm obviously a big fan. Uh, he's a dear friend. Uh, and uh, I, I have such admiration for him. Because as a referee, um, you know, you, can't, you, can't, you could not have possibly accomplished more than he accomplished as a referee. And, you know, when you do that, it's, the question is, do I just continue to do it over and over or do you move on to a new challenge? And he's faced the challenge of being a broadcast analyst, you know, with, with the same type of integrity and professionalism and work ethic, work ethic. To prepare for that so you know his commentary is just great and it's so funny too because um, i i often say that regarding the officials that are regulating the event judging and refereeing the best thing that ever happened to them is that john mccarthy is in the booth but also regarding the officials <laughs> the worst thing that's ever happened to them <laughs> is john mccarthy is in the booth because John is going to defend them when they do it right. And he's going to be the first to, you know, expose them when they don't. And it's very credible. It's hard to question that what John is saying is, is not correct. Uh, but, you know, he's fair minded. He's reasonable. He's a great speaker. He's just, you know, John is just a class act from, from, from top to bottom, beginning to
0: end that exactly everybody who I've heard from like they say John's the best and and he makes his refing course the toughest out of all the refing courses for mixed martial arts like it's it's a very low pass rate because
1: hey if you can't fail then it's not a real it's not a real course yeah exactly
0: yeah. and he makes sure yeah. like and even then like he's a very harsh critic in terms of even if you pass of like what it's like is he wants to make sure when we get those new judges in they've done like They've done. They've hit their Ps and Qs, and they're ready for what's next to come—the real test.
1: Well, I, and you know, John and I agree. And you know, when I do ISK uh, trainings and certifications, and we we work obviously a lot, endlessly with officials from all over the world for a lot of different sports. Um, the beginning is simply, what have you done, and what are you doing to be worthy, to be worthy of sitting in judgment of these athletes either as a referee or as a judge, you know, it begins with that. We must find ways to continue to be worthy of that position mm-hmm. because you look at what it's at stake. You look at a lifetime of commitment that these athletes have put in to developing their skills. You look at eight weeks of training, the cut, you look at the fi- the financial stake that is at, you know, the, You know the difference between being having to work another job or going on and and having security to your family. Look what's at you know look at all that. Well, that judge. You know what? I want to know. You know what? What are you? What are you doing? And it's all about continuing education. When we talk about federations or we talk about commissions, I often say, and maybe this is a little brutal. There are two kinds of commissions: those that require continuing education for their officials, and those that suck. Yeah, that's it because. We need to be working very hard to stay worthy of sitting in judgment of these remarkable athletes.
0: Very true. This is like, it's like, this is like a life and death scenario we're looking at here. Like when they go in that cage, it's like, you know, it's like you might be screwing one out of their bonus money. I mean, look, there's, or like they're a, a decision that, you know, that could cost them their job. Like, you know, that could get them cut, you know, it. that's why it's, we really, I really think there needs to be a reform of the judging and the repping is doing good. I think the repping is, is always continuously improving, but the judging does need to get a more modern approach. Like instead of having like say boxing judges in there and they're like judging it, like you've, you've seen it all. Well, we but need to, get-
1: to be fair, to be fair, in, in most jurisdictions, we're way past that. They, they, they no longer are using guys who are oh, well, judges, I don't have them. I mean, there are dedicated MMA referees, mm-hmm. uh, dedicated MMA judges in almost every jurisdiction. And to be fair to the judges, um, you know, a lot of them are very, very well trained. I would put the criticism not as much on the judges, but on the weakness of the actual scoring system that is being yeah. used. You know, the 10-9 system, uh, the 10-point must system was borrowed from boxing. Um, you know, and, and the bottom line, it's, it's you know, it's like giving you know, if it's like giving Picasso a roller, you know, 10-9 just covers too much ground. So sometimes even if it's scored correctly, the numerical scores at the end of the match, do not adequately reflect the actual action that occurred. Mm -hmm. And when you have a five round fight and three rounds are close, but ten nine, and two rounds are not so close, but not ten eight, you know, sometimes, you know, the math just doesn't work out even though the judges themselves are not uh, doing anything incorrect and and towards that end there are a lot of commissions a lot of great leaders like Andy Foster throughout this entire pandemic for a year every Thursday there is an open call where they review you know dozens of rounds from the past week or from history and any judge in American can plug in on zoom and do an ongoing judges training every single week and it's happened since March of last year uh, so there are a lot of people out there on the forefront trying to make it work. I think, uh, you, know, you know, clearly we still need to continue to work. That's why I say it's an active process. That's why I say, what, are you, what have you done today to be worthy? Because it is a process. Um, you know, the other side of it that's challenging is often the people don't understand the nature of judging. It's very different than watching. Um, you know, you can watch a fight and have one experience as opposed to judging it and have it different. But the fans, by virtue of being fans, by tuning in or buying a ticket, they're entitled to criticize.
0: Yeah. I wanted to also ask because you've not only been doing work with ISK, but you've done work with Glory. Are you also doing work with this uh, newly karate combat that's recently come
1: up? Well, we, we work with Glory through ISK. ISK sanctioned I believe 61 events for Glory starting in their earliest launch in America. Uh, and it was, it was a great pleasure. I mean, working with those kickboxing athletes, uh, and I personally traveled to Chosen, Japan and uh, all throughout Europe and around America. And, uh, you know, it was, it, uh, I mean, it, it, was, it was a fantastic run. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also work with Karate Combat. We have, um, you know, we have a lot of experience in the industry. So a lot of times I've, I am sought out By launch promotions with unique combat sports ideas because they understand in order to make it in the world, you need to make it in America. In order to make it in America, you need to be regulated by athletic commissions. And, you know, I've made it my business to build relationships with the Association of Boston Commissions to understand how state regulation works in America and to try to help new promotions with new sports like karate combat, you know, tailor their vehicle to not just what would be popular and successful, but that would would, would work in the uh, American State Athletic Commission uh, regulatory environment. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, one thing about karate combat I wanted to fly by you is like you know because I do karate, I'm a kyokushin, uh, I'm a kyokushin practitioner, mm-hmm. I'm not a black belt. I'm a green belt, so I'm too I'm too away. But it's not about the belt; it's about the journey. Um, I've noticed with karate combat, there's mainly Shotokan, shito ryu but there's no Kyokushin. Is there a reason for that? Because I really feel that if karate combat wants to be successful, we have to welcome the Kyokushin guys in. Is there a reason that Kyokushin has not been sought out in karate combat?
1: Or I think that the likely reason, and let me tell you, the guys that run karate combat, wonderful guys, who are sincere in their interest to um, – create a professional fighting opportunity for karate fighters. I mean, they really are sincere in their interest in that. Um, and I think that is just a simple thing of time because, uh, you know, they are from a karate federation and I think that they're from the karate federation that's affiliated with the WKF, which is, is more Shotokan based. Yeah. You know, which is not, you know, I mean the, the WKF, you know, is, is like Olympic karate and they're taking athletes from there and and giving them a vehicle to launch full contact. So I think it just is simply that they're still in the relatively early stages of their development and they're working with the athletes that they know the best. Uh, and again, you know, they really haven't done that, that many shows yet. So I would imagine it's just a question of time.
0: Yeah. Because I mean, it's like, there's such a talent pool of Kyokushin practitioners. I'm not like, I'm not saying I'm a good fighter, but if you guys were to come to Quebec, like Quebec is a powerhouse for Kyokushin. Sure. It's kind of sure. like the, it's kind of like the Russians in MMA where they're just, once they start coming, they don't right. stop coming. And then the right. Russians and Kyokushin come and that's like a whole other ball game. Cause like, cause I'm, I'm going to tell you something. If there's, if the, when it comes to Kyokushin, the two powerhouses are obviously Japan. Technique wise. Mm-hmm. Sure. Pressure-wise and power-wise, Russia and Russia has mm. thousands. I, I think like it's in the millions. They have their practitioners in uh, Kyokushin. It, they're just built for it. But I mean, with time, I do hope to see we do that. If the it opens the gates to Kyokushin, because I think, as you said, the guys who are on WKF, uh, I think they just it's just about the timing and with when the pandemic as it gets you know gets you know. Less and less well, you, and more than memory. You know
1: what? You know, I will connect whomever that you know in the Kyokushin organization with the leaders of karate combat. And, you know, if they can make that happen. Yeah. Uh, hey, that's great. I mean, it's always about finding a diverse pool of athletes because that draws in a more diverse yeah. audience uh, and, and and continue to raise that sport.
0: Yeah, I definitely, yeah. If I could help do that, I mean, uh, I, I definitely can. And I mean, Look, uh, that's what I want to do. I mean, uh, all mar. It doesn't matter what the discipline is. Even it's like if we can help elevate martial arts in general, it's a win for everybody.
1: My feeling is exactly the same. Um, you know, and 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 also for me, I um, anybody who is similarly motivated. Uh, some of the some of the people I like spending time with the most are people that hold a similar position in the industry as I do, because yeah, you know, I, I can just relate. We can we can talk sport and relate with similar challenges and similar life experiences. So, you know, it's also been the culture of the ISKA that, you know, well listen, you know, we've been blessed to work with um, unbelievable level of athletes in a lot of different martial arts and combat sports and to work, you know, in more than 80 countries on six continents. Uh, And towards that end, you know, we support any other promotion, federation, organization that has common goals, which is to put the fighters first, make it about the sport, you know, raise the stage, focus on safety and fairness, help promoters be successful, continuing education for officials. Um, You know, this is it. I mean, this is the role uh, that, that we play. Uh, that we've been honored to play. In fact, uh, this is our 35th year. We're celebrating our 35th anniversary. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And uh, it's been an exciting journey and we see great things ahead of us.
0: Yeah. I love that logo. Like when Vic sent it to me and he's like, this is what I do. Um, and yeah, you, you guys have a good one in Vic in terms of like how he's trying to really, you know, bring everybody together, especially for the kickboxing, uh, like the K one or like, you know, ISKA kind of background, whether it's sure. Muay Thai, Dutch, sure. karate, sure. what, what, what is your, what is the plan you feel with ISKA Canada? Like in terms of like what Vic's doing, like, what is, uh, what do you, well, ha- what, you what know, do you guys our, have in store?
1: the plan moving forward is always really similar for, for every country. Mm -hmm. Again, it's athlete focused, you know, we um, we've been blessed to be in a position because of our international network to be able to create opportunities for fighters to fight outside of their region. And that, you know, that's, that's the dream, you know, whether you're an amateur, you know, and and you're going to get the opportunity to fight, you know, it's, you know, and you live in Toronto, but you get the opportunity to fight in Australia, or you're an amateur and you live in Cambodia and you get the opportunity to fight in France, or uh, a level, a top professional, you wanna get that opportunity for an international title. And and that's the area that we've been most successful at um, is developing a network where the top athletes can fight around the world and move around the world uh, and earn recognition, reward, elevate their own careers, build their own brands. Um, you know, and that's exciting. And that, that, that attracts gyms, that attracts fighters, that attracts officials, uh, that attracts promotions to want to be a part of that network like that. So really that, you know, that is our base plan. Uh, Victorio, uh, Alberto Mercedat, uh, who will be our lead official there. And, you know, they're putting together a network of people throughout Canada who are leaders uh, and all we ask of these leaders is a common vision. You know what? We, we need safe and fair events. We, we need to, you know, raise the platform, raise the perception of our sports. Um, you know, we need to um, help the promoters be successful. When promoters are successful, it's simple. They promote more often. When they promote more often, there's more fights. When there's more fights, the fighters get better. You know, so it is tied to the promoters like that. You know, we have, um, uh, uh, you know, a a brotherhood of officials. You know, I I always say, listen, what kind of person is it that agrees to a job that if you do it absolutely correctly a thousand times in a row, no one's going to congratulate you? But you make one questionable call, they're going to roll the bus back and forth over you for the next three months. That's what officials do. That's what they're willing to do. And I think that that's it's a noble calling. You really have to love the sport to be willing to accept that. Um, so we put a lot of time into putting them in the best position to do the best possible jobs. Um, you know, so in Canada, we see, you know, we've obviously we've worked in Canada going back to Mick McNamara and the Twin Dragons and Jean-Yves Theriault was ISKA champion, uh, Paul Biafor, um, you know, you know, D- uh, Paul Lalande, I mean, great fighters coming from Canada that we've worked going back to 1986, Um, but everything, you know, for every time there's a season and we we restart, and Vic is our new leader, Uh, obviously his greatest experience is in promotions. And, um, you know, so he's putting together a team throughout Canada uh, so that we can offer for them recognition. Um, You know, we can be available for the the commissions or the ministries uh, of sport that require the expertise necessary to rewrite their regulations to see that contem- what is recognized as contemporary kickboxing is allowed. I mean, let's face it if we look at contemporary kickboxing rules like Bellator kickboxing, like Octagon kickboxing, like Glory kickboxing, they are, you know, there's nothing that is allowed that is not already allowed in MMA which is a pre-existing approved sport. Oh, well, let me think. Fight shorter rounds with more padded gloves. It would seem to be a no-brainer, but again, nothing is that nothing is that simple uh, when it comes to the law and legislation. You know, we uh, my work with the Association of Boxing Commissions. I was on the committee that wrote uh, the Unified Rules of Kickboxing, just like the Unified Rules of MMA, Unified Rules of of uh, Boxing. The Association of Boxing Commissions now have a Unified Rules of Kickboxing. So that to make it easier to have those contemporary rules that are followed all over the rest of the world adopted in states or provinces in jurisdictions where they don't have Mm -hmm. rules. Uh, Because in the end, it's about giving these athletes, whether amateurs or pros, the opportunities to pursue their passion to whatever level of greatness their own effort and their own commitment can take them.
0: Mhm it's very true. I like and I think it's great that we're doing this cuz especially in the digital age like it especially in the digital age it's amazing to see how now things are slowly starting to come to form and there's progress. Yeah, there's going to be bumps in the road always, but I think now that the internet has helped globalize, this is a chance to really for everybody to to make something happen which we've ne- which we thought could never happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well you know, just because it's hard, <laughs> that's no excuse not to do it anyway.
0: <laughs> right. What I like about too about kickboxing is the background some of these, athlete, these athletes have, especially in glory, uh, such as former welterweight champion Bazooka Joe Valtellini, special ed teacher. Big
1: fan. Me
0: Big too. fan.
1: You know, let me tell you, when he made the transition to doing commentary, um, you know, I would say the officials get no love. The rules guy, you know, I'm the rules guy. <laughs> you yeah, know, rules guy I get on. No Bob Delaney, I mean, you know what? And again, what a fighter. What a, man, a, a, a highest skill level fighter. But when he turned to commentator, he, you know, he, he was humble enough to, man, he was on the phone to me all the time. Okay, yeah, okay. So when I'm describing this, am I saying this right? Uh, is that really the rule? Is that like that, like that? And, you know, when I'd be at hit with him at events, he would just want me to be there to support, to make sure that what he was saying was the right thing. And I tell you, I'm a big, listen, I grew up in the martial arts and traditional martial arts. So I am a huge fan of humility Uh, and got to respect that, especially in a guy with such unbelievable fighting skill. Uh, big fan
0: me too i like him Uh because he's a second dan in taekwondo so that helps too where he learns mm-hmm. that humility also mm-hmm. not only commentary he's a hard worker has like another business and he's also a special ed teacher still which yep. he loves so he's like a real like that's like a real and em- hero to the community for what he does uh you have a guy such as um who is it's um joe joe Schilling, another one who's uh a bit of an anti-hero, but love his character.
1: Hey, you know what? Love me, hate me, as long as you don't ignore me, I am golden. I tell you who I'm a big fan of is Gabriel Varga mm-hmm. uh, from Western Canada. He's from Victoria. Uh, he was Glory champion. He's Bellator kickboxing champion. I've known him since he's a he's a very young man. Uh, his dad had contacted me when they were all he and his brothers and his and his training partners were all amateurs. Uh, and he brought me to um, to to Victoria. Uh, to do uh, official certification clinics and become come sanctioned events that he was going to promote himself just to give Gabriel, his brothers, and his training partners an opportunity to see how far they could go. And Gabriel won, uh, he first won a Canadian title and then a North American amateur title. Then he won the ISK uh, World Amateur title, defended it twice. Uh, and then um, obviously went on to greatness as glory champion and Bellator kickboxing champion. And he's got a great podcast and just prototypically Canadian, polite, nice young man. Really a pleasure to work with.
0: Yeah, that's a, like Vic was telling me. Yeah, again, get, get, Vic was telling me. Uh there's a Canadian Glory champion, Gabe something Garf. Gar he was like struggling. Gabe Varga, yeah. yeah. Now he knows. Fix. I'm just kidding, man. It's just like, yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's just so many guys. Uh and you have like the heavyweights, like Rico Verhoeven, Hari uh, Tyrone Spong. Um, the list goes on. It's it's crazy.
1: You know, um, you know, section of those Glory events, and it, it began. Um, uh, it began when they contacted me about doing a Road to Glory, which was a series of uh, uh, events here in America to develop American talent for Glory. Uh, and then I connected with core Hemmer's legendary trainer um, who was brought in and we basically had to start from zero and, and kind of rewrite the Glory kickboxing rules because again, they were overseas rules and they needed to be able to be used in America. Uh, where there's athletic commissions and things are regulated and it was a you know rewriting rules or writing rules it's it's, it's a long and difficult process honestly yeah uh, but I but spending that time with core and and you know sometimes we would agree sometimes we would argue um, feeling his passion and then being at the glory events and I would always sit right next to him just to wave because I set up the seating chart <laughs> so we'd sit together and just seeing the fights partially through his eyes with his level of experience and his background in the sport you know personally it was a very rewarding experience um you know the you know the, the glory run was great because the fighters were great um you know they really did try to match the best with the best and we uh we saw some ungodly talent uh come out of some of those shows
0: yeah, another one, Nikki Holtzkin, too. Dutch legend. Now he's yep. doing really good. Giorgio Petro.
1: Did Giorgio petrosian fight in Glory too? He did. Yeah. Okay. Brief run again to, for you know, arguably hard to say. Not the best kickboxer in the world right now.
0: He's Armenian. They're they Armenians are bred. I know. I don't want to sound stereotypical. And you know what, George, yeah, you
1: know, and his Giorgio and his brother, uh, you know very good fighters. but You watch Petrosian. It, it was like, for me, watching Petrosian fight live, it was like the first time I, you know, listen, I had been sanctioning and regulating Muay Thai for years. Then I watched Zhang Sunan Fertex fight. And all of a sudden, I understood Muay Thai. Up until then, yeah, I mean, I was regulating it. Yeah, I understood it. I, the written rules. Yeah, I, I knew the scoring criteria like that. But watching a world-class, all-time great do their thing in a sport, you, you begin to understand it in a different way. Well, watching Giorgio in kickbox, same type of, you know, mind-opening experience. Um, you know, a, just just a one big level above. Uh, really, really remarkable. He does his own promotions, Perciosi and Mania, which are great. He also works... Um, you know, with our ISK promoters in Italy. Um, and he's obviously an ISK uh, world champion, and we're extraordinarily proud to have him wear our belt.
0: Yeah, it's, it's honestly, he's definitely like, and when you watch him, it's like, it's like, and the funny thing is, like you say, oh, it's like watching a, a brain surgeon perform yeah, brain yeah. surgery to perfection. And he's but, actually an MD. That's the funny thing. It's like, he's <laughs> really, it's crazy. The background he came from, like, you know, uh, family fled, Soviet the then Soviet occupied Armenia for a better life and then they started off like you know typical immigrant story came across Jean-Claude Van Damme kickboxer watched it like every time he could and then just gets into Muay Thai and uh, it doesn't yeah and that's the thing too like the one thing that I want to say on here we got to start respecting anyone that takes up martial arts it doesn't matter the discipline or what style anyone who says, I'm going to take up martial arts, whether that's to compete or just be a better person. I think we got to respect that more and unify no matter what, because I just feel there's always that kind of like, oh, my discipline is cooler. It's more badass. And we got to stop that. And I think that's what's good about that. That's that's
1: that's nonsense. I I mean, it's nonsense. Let's face it. You know, it's about the fighter, not the style. It's the, it's the, it's the fighter that makes the style good, not the style that makes the fighter good. You know, there are certain styles that lend itself to certain types of competition, obviously. But, you know, even in MMA, you know, we see karate fighters who have done very well. We've seen grapplers who've done well. We've seen guys with extraordinary boxing skills do very well. I mean, the original mixed martial art concept was not a unique sport. It was to test this style versus this style, but really it tested this fighter versus this fighter. so to me, um, you know, uh, what they say, comparison is the root of all dissatisfaction. Uh, criticizing, complaining, condemning, those are all tools uh, to use in weakness. So, you know, I'm better, my style is better, yours, uh, that, that just sounds a little bit too much like a 1970s, uh, you know, Japanese karate movie. Oh, my master will be your master. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just nonsense. You know, the, um, the foundation, is, is respect and responsibility and courtesy and discipline. And, and why humility? Anybody that's ever really trained in the martial arts understands it's a humbling experience. It's, it's humbling. Um, you know, for me, I always said that my biggest advantage in training in the martial arts is that I had no talent. So the first day was really hard. It never got any harder for me. You know, a lot of my contemporaries that started with me—they were talented. And they progressed faster, and you know, and and uh, you know, but but the payoff, the reward, was always measured in terms of the effort. So if you get your yellow belt and you get your blue belt, and it was easy for you, what does it mean to you? Eh, cool, whatever. I got my yellow belt. I just about wanted to cry because I struggled so hard to get it, and and it never got any harder. Whereas for some of my contemporaries, when finally it started to get hard. They didn't see the payout as being worth it because in the past, I got my belt, whatever, because it was easy. So they struggled for me, big advantage, no talent, no natural ability. It was hard the first day, never got any harder, never got any easier either.
0: (laughs) That's true. That's the same thing for me. Like first I did Taekwondo. And I always say like, if you're like, I always say this, like to like look, like, Taekwondo is an amazing martial art. I think it's an amazing martial art for kids to begin. Cause it's like the, I like to call it the gateway martial art. However, started at 26. So my, I don't have good flexible hips. So then I transitioned. That's why I transitioned into Kyokushin. Cause it's easier for a, a unit like myself. I mean unit, like I'm a big guy, but I, I have nothing against Taekwondo. I'm very thankful that I took it because I met some amazing people in there. And even when I switched to karate, they were like, good for you for still sticking to something in martial arts because so many people just quit and they don't want to do it after. But yeah, like I mean, I got bit by the bug. I mean, look, as I always like to say, people ask me, who were the fighters that got you into martial arts? So I always like to say it. It was these three in this order, okay? It was John Jones beating DC the first time. Gegard Gegard Mousasi starching Dan Henderson on January 24th, 2015. And then Steven Wonderboy Thompson starching Jake Ellenberger with that spinning back kick. And those are, those are my three.
1: Uh, I'm a big Steven Thompson fan. I worked with him and his dad. uh, Class acts when I worked with Chuck Norris, for t- two years on a program called world combat league. Yes.
0: And oh, I, you were there. No I way. I
1: was the commissioner of world combat league. I drafted all the original athletes and the coaches. I wrote the rules. Uh, I trained the officials. Uh, yeah. That was such a unique project and such a personal project. Cause I got to start at zero with, with kind of inventing something. Uh, and of course, obviously working with the world's number one martial arts media icon, Chuck Norris, you know, uh, was, was, quite an experience but on the very first I remember one of the one of the I guess most significant days of my career was doing all that work to put together World Combat League and it's the very first event so up until this point it's all theoretical you know and I remember sitting there in Dallas at the bowl side at the table and I remember being like my heart is like this and going man I sure do (laughs) hope this actually works the way I thought it out And it did. It was spectacular. And Steven in particular, um, you know, Steven, boom, boom, he's fighting. He's fighting a sport karate guy and gives him a little head and shoulder faith. The guy fades a little bit. Steven advances, goes one, two, crosses with his back leg, round kick, hits the guy, boom, right here. The guy drops face first. I mean, it was one of the most spectacular head kick knockouts I have ever seen, ever seen. Mm. And they played it over and over and over. And it became one of the major highlight reels of Stephen's career and of World Combat League.
0: He is such, that family is, has been so pivotal for the growth of martial arts. And I had Ray and Stephen and the other son, Evan on my last show I had, but that was audio only. We don't talk about that really, right. but they were such a lovely family. Like it's, it's like, they Incredible. they really are like, I, I can't explain like how amazing they are as human beings. You
1: know, you want to, you want to see real credit to Ray. Uh, I think the town they live in is called Simpsonville, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, what, what are there? 14 people there, but his school had something like 800 members. I mean, how do you do that in a market that tiny? Well, you do that by understanding the real spirit of martial arts. You, you do that by treating people right. You know, you do that by being the kind of person that people want to be around. Uh, you know, and, and just incredible. And then, of course, look what he's done, you know, on, on the big stage in MMA.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you also in World Combat League, there's another fighter, I think he fought on there, Uriah Hall, primetime
1: Yeah, Uriah Hall fought, Raymond Daniels fought. Um, you know, a, a, a lot of people that went on to great things uh, you know, had a, had a tenure on World Combat League.
0: That's what I liked about World Combat League because it had all styles of striking martial arts, and to mm-hmm. see like you saw Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Tell me about Uriah Hall because I always feel Uriah Hall has so much talent. What was it like seeing prime time?
1: Well, he was fighting. He was fighting for the New Jersey team, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that was under Tiger Shulman. And uh, you know, he showed great stuff. I mean, he had a winning record. Uh, he was exciting. Uh, You know. It, The thing about World Combat League is it took a very special kind of fighter to be really effective because, you know, I had drafted several people who were world champion kickboxers that just couldn't get it done because they couldn't handle the pace. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember uh, a good buddy of mine, um, world champion kickboxer. He said, if you approach this like a kickboxing match, you're going to be in big trouble. You need to think about this as a, and then what he said was, Think about it like a technical street fight where you can see the guy you're fighting, you can see three of his buddies like 100 yards away running at you. So you got to not just fight great, but you got to fight great fast and get this guy done because they really wow. they fought for three minutes. That's it. You had three minutes to get it done. It was called full throttle, pedal to the metal. and you had to get it done. And you could not, you couldn't circle left, couldn't circle right. You'd be penalized you couldn't grab and clinch and hold, you'd be penalized. They expected to fight all out for three minutes. And it takes a certain type of fighter to be able to do that.
0: That's amazing, man. You have like, the, this is a, such a knowledge bombshell. You've dropped on me at the world combat league. Cause I've always wanted to learn more about it. And I've seen Steven Thompson's uh, kick on there. And as mentioned, like you, look, Corey, like it's, it's crazy. And it's, I try even looking up highlights on World Combat League. When I got into martial arts, when I started looking mm-hmm. up karate, I remember my old coach, uh, not my old coach. Uh, no, no, I'm going to my old coach. I have a friend named Kevin. Uh, Kevin Pelletier, a.k.a. Kevin Pug. Shout out to Kevin. Kevin is like, it's like this guy is like an affinicato of martial arts fully. When I mean affinicato, he was sending me World Combat League highlights of Wonder Boy, Raymond Daniels. Raymond Daniels.
1: Raymond was the uh, most valuable player. Uh, what he did in that league was to say that it's nothing less than spectacular is an understatement is an understatement we had a metric which was called the effectiveness ratio and it has to do with in the scoring of the judges how many points you score total versus your combined opponents versus how many points they scored against you total so if you were above uh, zero you scored more points than they did and like that if you were above 1.5 it was good if you were above 2.4 you were you were really a good fighter Raymond was like 7.5 I mean it was just obscene the, the next closest fighter there was one other fighter that was at um, like four something but he just um you know the real deal knew how to bring the show knew how to close the show and if you've seen him fight You know, how do you prepare to fight against a guy like that? Where do you get sparring? Um, You know, I remember one time Raymond, uh, before the Denver show, he came up to me and said, Mr. Schaefer, so what is the fastest knockout in World Combat League history? And I said, Raymond, why why are you asking? He goes, well, everybody's got to have a goal. And I didn't know know what it was, so I just made something up. I I don't know. You know, um, 41 seconds, Raymond. Well, he goes out there. The bell rings. He runs across the uh, the bowl, you know, where they fought in the bowl, and he throws a jump spin back kick at the guy, and the guy just barely turns sideways and misses. Well, Raymond lands and he jump spins the other way with the other leg, hits the guy right in the chest. The guy goes backwards on his back, rolls over onto his stomach, and he's done. <laughs> New record. Fastest knockout in World Combat League history.
0: That's crazy. I wanted to ask you um, now, because a lot of things, as mentioned, things are just picking up now for Bellator 2, and you've seen it. They've got a new deal with CBS. They're with Showtime again. How do you feel this is going to help elevate Bellator to the mass media now? Because I think, I think it's a big win for you guys.
1: Well, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's huge, and it's what Scott was after, uh, you know, Bellator has done very well with their broadcast partners. You know, Spike turned to Paramount. Paramount's um, kind of format was more family-oriented and less sports-oriented, mm-hmm. so it was hard to be as consistent. I think anytime you're moving around Friday, Saturday, Thursday, early, late, I think that you're going to struggle getting a, a good following. Here it's it's just committed. I mean, all live Bellator will be on Showtime. It'll be on Friday nights. That it'll it'll be like that. I think that that's just It's it's going to be way better. And, and, you know, Showtime has so much experience at, in terms of uh, production experience at telling the story of fights. When you look at, you know, how they highlight their great boxing fights and how they give the backstory, they have such great production expertise at doing that. And to me, that's, I'm a big fan of that. I I need to hear, not just watch the fighting action, but I want to know the details. I want the backstory and I, I want to, I want them to lay out the story of the fight for me. And, and Showtime is just, they have great expertise at doing that. So I think it's a, it's a partnership that uh, is wonderful. It's wonderful. Bellator is great for Showtime and it's really great for MMA. Uh, and again, it goes back to relationships. That's the relationship that existed uh, between Scott Coker and the leaders at Showtime. Um, and we're excited. Uh, you know, April 2nd, I'll be back at the Mohegan Sun uh, at Cageside uh, in a, quiet room other than the fighters and the commentary, <laughs> which is such a unique, u- unique experience. Honestly, um, you know, being watching world-class fights where you can so clearly hear each trainer coaching and the kind that, that's, cause that's the only sound cause there's no spectators. Um, but really exciting, uh, to be back at the Mohegan sun for that, working with the Mike Mazzulli and the Mohegan tribe of department athletic regulation that supervised the event there. Uh, they've been really good to Bellator um so um it's exciting and uh the next step for bellator onward upward
0: is that uh the april second fight is that uh, the yoel romero versus anthony rumble johnson
1: the fight that people want to see you know a lot of people ask, well why didn't you like put them on opposite sides of the bracket and then wait you know we've learned hey going back to that heavyweight tournament with strike force no you make the fight when the fight can be made because especially in a tournament, anything can happen, and often does.
0: That's amazing. I think it's a very smart. and excited for that fight. Like I was in, uh, I was talking with like a few people in uh, this other social media app we have, like in a chat room. And like one of the guys was like basically saying, "Man, he's like, how? He's like, I'm so excited for this fight. It's like it's gonna be. He's like, uh, and I'm and I'm quoting him here." <laughs> He's like, he's like, it's going to be some black on black crime over here. Like, he's like, and he's like, he's like, yo, and AJ are their killers, man. He's like, man, right. he's like, I'm so excited. I'm like, I'm so excited too. And it's like, man, it's, it's going to be crazy. What a way for Bellator to kick off 2021. Finally.
1: Hey, you know, I, um, I always say the same thing. I'm just glad that I get a good seat. <laughs> I said I'm close enough to reach through the cage and touch them, but I don't. No, <laughs>
0: it's. And to get Anthony Johnson and Yoel Romero, what a coup because I really think that Anthony has so many years left in the tank, you know, to compete. I think he has the chance to be a champion. Yoel, I mean, you saw him with Force. And that's the thing. Scott and you had a way of seeing this talent. Like, as mentioned, you know, Musasi, Jorge Masvidal, DC, Rockwell, as mentioned, Tim Kennedy, Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate, Chris Cyborg. I mean, it's, the list goes on. Uh,
1: I, I can't take any credit for that. I mean, I, I see the talent. But bringing them to Force, bringing them to Bellator, that's about Scott Coker. It's about Rich Cho. It's about the, the matchmaking team. Uh, and i tell you... I just got to say again, working with Bellator is such a pleasure. Uh, Everybody in every position is all about the martial arts. I recognize when I first, when I first started working with them in 2014, I always like to use the example, um, you know, working with their, um, their lead legal counsel. Oh, so you figure, you know, a suit. Well, it was Tracy who had passed John McCarthy's judging course. What does that say about, a promotions culture when their lead legal counsel, even, even their lead legal counsel had passed John McCarthy's judging course. It says that they're passionate. You know, half the guys in production and operations, you know what, when the work is done, where do you find them? You find them on the match, rolling, you know? Um, so it's, um, it's just, it's just great. It, it really is quite a pleasure and a privilege to work with Bellator.
0: It really has, like, I mean, you've seen guys like Rafael Lovato come through, like, just a definition. Wow. What yeah. a way to go out! What a, like, look. I'm gonna be yeah. honest. I was, I was heartbroken when Gegard lost because you have to understand, Gegard is sure. like, I'm half Iranian, sure. and you know, sure. Gegard. But I respect Lovato for what he did because, like, everything he went through and then how he carries himself. Um, you have Michael Venom Page. If we could do a cross promotion, I wish we could see MVP versus Wonder Boy. That would be like you know it
1: uh sometimes when you put two guys in who are the same style it's not all that you hoped for no it's a lot of looking at each other but yeah i mean obviously but that's what i'm saying is that um you know bellator would would look to create exciting fights and 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 then that that makes sense you know but yeah that's that's the stuff that dreams are made of
0: very true. Corey, I'm going to say, uh, I guess we'll uh, conclude it here because, and I want to say personally, thank you so much for coming on uh, the Drew experience and shout out to Vic for helping make this happen in terms of recommending and then putting in a good word. Cause uh, yeah. And I, I just appreciate everything. Um, I love what I do and having people like you on, I mean, I appreciate it. And it's, I, I picked up so much from you tonight, just, you know, talking to you.
1: Thank you. I, I mean, it uh you know, you are one of our partners. Without you doing what you do, uh, the, the whole system of, of fight fight popularity and media, I mean, it, it just doesn't work. Uh, we're honored, you know, with the ISK to fill a role in the industry. I'm extremely uh, proud of, of Victor Theriot, Bardo uh, Mercedat and, and the group that they're putting together uh, to help raise the profile of the sports that we regulate in Canada, to create opportunities for fighters, to uh, link together promoters who can succeed more together than apart, uh, and to basically, you know, work a plan that has worked, you know, uh, around the world for us and to connect Canada, the athletes, the officials, the promotions with the rest of our global network uh, towards greater success. So we're excited about that. Uh, I have every confidence in, in Vic and I just want to thank you for inviting me. And um, it was a real pleasure.
0: Awesome. And where can people connect with you if they ever want to like, you know, like, you know, get events going or, you know, especially with ISKA. So where, where's the best, yeah, where to our,
1: our best way is on our, um, our website, which is iskaworldhq.com, iskaworldhq.com.
0: Perfect. Well, once, once again, Corey, you ever want to come on the show? Door's always open. I mean, I'd love to do part two again. And uh, I'll,
1: I'll tell you what. I'm going to come on right before we do our first major, major event in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. there in Quebec. Because, again, with Vic at the head of the ship, I, we, we, it's just time. We know it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So right before that event, we'll come back on, do a little promotion, and we'll get to visit again
0: nice all right man well thanks right. once again that's the Drew experience if you like martial arts make sure to like subscribe share because we got to raise the bar always